Hello and welcome to The Flex. It's Matt St. Jean here once again with Joe Howie. The Friars off to a 2-0 start here in Big East play. Fresh off a win over number 24 Marquette. A double overtime thriller at the Amp. I couldn't sleep last night after that one, Joe. How you doing? My heart rate, you know, my resting heart rate last night was not good, but I am fantastic. Uh, this is the best Christmas present that I've received in a long time. Uh, you and I were texting Matt before conference play had even started, and this was when Marquette was beating the doors off of Creighton at Marquette. And we were saying along the lines of, you know, it's not completely out of the realm of possibilities to go 0-2 at Seton Hall at home against Marquette. And here we are, road win at Seton Hall, home ranked win over Marquette. I mean, wow, what a, a weekend, what a game. Let's get into it. Just a reminder, this podcast is presented by House Enterprise and in partnership with House of College Hoops. Head over to our site, house-enterprise.com for more info. I can tell you this week, Joe, I think we already know who the player of the week in the Big East is going to be for our power rankings for the Big East. Uh, you might end up in the national conversation for national player of the week, depending on what happens. <laughs> Bryce Hopkins is here. I think we saw we started to see that against Seton Hall. He had a career day then. And then last night against Marquette, he took over the first 2020 performance in the Big East in a Big East game since Angel Delgado back. In, I believe it's 2017. Yeah. Super impressive stuff. He's really coming into his own. And, you know, this is something that, you know, I will be the first to admit I was skeptical about him coming into the season. If you read my piece on house enterprise, I said, I didn't know how the minutes load was going to take a toll on him, if any, and boy, Oh boy, has he produced. I mean, Ed Cooley said this back. I think this was in November. He said, you know, we haven't even seen the best, the best of Bryce Hopkins yet. And that, you know, this kid is continuing to grow. And I think that's what we're seeing right now is Okay. 24 and 10 against Seton Hall. That's pretty good. Oh, hold on. 29 and 25. Or how many rebounds did they have? 23 over Something Marquette. Like that. Yeah. Like, wow. Like, good, good for him. I mean, that's just, that's a man's performance right there. And we are so, so freaking lucky that he's on our team. Yeah. Bryce Hopkins, 29 points, 23 rebounds, 8 of 14 from the field. He missed both his three pointers, but I said even matter right now. 13 of 18 from the charity stripe. I think there's a little bit of room for improvement there. Um, I'll also add two assists and three steals. Uh, Friars yeah. got a lot of assists in this win. They had 16 of them. I think one of the things that kind of jumped out to me looking back, when you look at the stats after the game, was the Friars had 16 assists on 38 baskets. Look over to Marquette. They had just nine on 46 baskets. So uh, I don't... I don't think that's a good sign for the Friars defense. If Marquette's scoring that many points and making that many shots without having to pass into it, uh, a weird, weird game all around anyway. Yeah. I, I, I mean, we have to get into like the little nitty gritty nuances of that game. It was definitely a strange game uh, to say the least um, defensive slug fest. If I do say so myself, <laughs> but not, there's not a lot of defense in the Big East right now. No, um, but I, I like the point you brought up, Matt, about assists. And I think that starts in the backcourt. And I think the backcourt performance that we saw last night from Jared Bynum and Alan Breed was fantastic. Um, 
you know, I guess you can throw Devin Carter in there too. He's kind of a small wing, but the the backcourt was was a really important piece in last night's win. And in the post game press conference, Ed Cooley even said that uh, Allen Breed was the X factor. He hit the game saving or game winning shot. So the backcourt it was huge last night too. I know we're, we talked about Hopkins, but I wanted to give those two guys a nod as well because we don't win that game without Bynum and Breed on the floor. No, uh, Devin Carter was the leader in assists. He had four of them. Bynum had three assists, and Alan Breed had three assists. So if my math is math in here, that right there is 10 assists combined with your starting – it's not your starting backcourt, but your finishing backcourt. Those guys yeah. did not come off the floor late. They played no. from six, six minutes left, something like that, yeah. all the way through the end of the second overtime, which – I was watching, and I was just, especially when it was late, I was like, why is Noah Locke not getting any run here? I understand the defensive concerns, but I ended up working out. Alan Breed hit that huge three. Yeah, that, that was a dagger right there. And they drew that play up for him, which I think is, it's telling of how they view Alan Breed offensively now. Because if this is last year's team, and I hate to compare, but that's not the, Alan Breed's not getting that shot. Hell, if Noah Locke is on the floor, Alan Breed's not getting that shot. So, I think that's, you know, a huge testament to him and the growth that we've seen out of him this season and the way that the coaching staff and the team views him. Because if they're drawing up a game-tying three-pointer for Allen Breed, like, that says a lot about their confidence in him to drain that shot. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I think one of the things that's really interesting about Allen Breed, if you go by, um, like, offensive rating or efficiency, for guys that qualify, for guys that have played enough, he's the third best player for Providence on offense. He also falls into the limited roles category, which is basically that's that's where you don't get used a lot. The limited roles means you're the fourth or the fifth option on offense um, when you're on the floor. So that's yeah. it's what Breed has been, and he's been really good at it. And he's bumping up that list. I think he, we're starting to see him get used a little bit more. It was, he had a game earlier in the season where he – was that the Ryder game, the opener, where he didn't take a single shot? Yeah. Yeah, and it's to see his emergence and his growth this year and it, doing the basics, playing defense, hitting free throws, they'll get you on the floor. It gives you the chances to make more plays. Uh, you know, I think that's a great point, Matt. And I think, too, if you look at Noah Locke and just the two-guard spot as a whole, the two-guard, the combo guard, it's kind of been vacant as of late. And that's not to knock on Noah Locke or, or disrespect him or anything like that, but Noah Locke starts the game strong. They draw a couple of plays for him. He gets a shot to fall early, and then he kind of slowly backs out of the game, and you'll see Pierre or Breed, in this instance, get those minutes. Um, so I thought that was an interesting dynamic that I've been watching unfold over the past couple of weeks. And the past two games, really, it's been Breed that's been logging those minutes late and you know playing that combo two-guard role. Yeah, which I think is really interesting. Um, I know we're talking about the Marquette game, but I do want to go back um, and talk about the Seton Hall game briefly because I, I thought Noah Locke had maybe his best not his best performance, one of his better performances of the season in that one. Uh, he was the guy that led the Friars in the square right off the bat. He had two of the first four field goals the Friars had, got an early bucket there in the second half. So he was the spark plug. But then also, Kadari Richmond going for 28 points on the Saturday afternoon. A lot of that was when Noah Locke was guarding him or attempting to guard him. Yeah, and I think when you look at the discrepancies between Locke and Breed, um, 
the defense, you know, favors Breed totally because, like you said, Matt, for the times that, you know, Locke was on Kadari Richmond, he was playing with his hair on fire. And listen, Kadari Richmond's very good. No, he is a very good player. We made him look like an NBA all-star at the Prudential Center on Saturday. And this is kind of who we knew Noah Locke was going to be coming in, too, if you watch. Like, I... I was doing my prospect deep dives over the summer for Big East Coast Bias. And the thing that stood out for Noah Locke was like, he's a good ball handler, not a good handler, good ball mover. He'll he'll facilitate pretty well. If he's your secondary ball handler, you're going to be all right on offense. He'll hit more shots. He's probably a better shooter than A.J. Reeves was by just a little bit throughout his career. But he doesn't do much outside of that. He's not very good at driving. I think we've actually seen him get better at that this year than he was in the past. And he's hit more mid-range stuff this year, which he's good at. Defense, he's just he's yeah, he's like sophomore year AJ Reeves in a smaller body. Yeah, I just remember wow, God, that's whew, throwback. I remember when AJ Reeves was tasked with the defense of one of the Hauser brothers and they lit us up at the dunk. Um, so I think that's a great comparison. <laughs> no lock liability on defense. Um, I did he I did notice that he is driving more, he likes to drive and pull up from mid range. Yeah. He loves to do that. He has like no hops. Like that dude, he he cannot no. jump. So to, him around the, I would rather have Jared Bynum around the rim than Noah Locke. Oh, totally. The amazing thing is, you know, Noah Locke and Devin Carter are both listed at six three, but they play Matt, and I'll credit you with this. They play two totally different styles of basketball. Devin Carter plays long and athletic, like a power forward, and Noah Locke plays like a, a five foot eight point guard. Oh yeah, yeah, it's hilarious. This is, I was looking, um, what do you call it? Uh, Bart Torvik's website, which is a super handy site in general, if you want specific stats, it breaks down your shooting percentages based on where your shots fall on the floor. No player has taken less shots that are marked as a close two than Noah Locke. He has four attempts there. Corey Floyd has more. Of the guys that have given real minutes to this team, guys, scholarship players, nobody has less than Noah Locke around the rim. The funny thing is, too, is when you say Corey Floyd, I just mentally think of him taking a corner three. Like, that's how I, I he's yeah. ingrained himself in my brain to this point in the season. So the fact that you say that is hilarious. Yeah. And it's Corey Floyd is three for five from close to Noah Locke is three for four. So, yeah, that's not. But he also he has more mid range shots than anybody on this team right now. That's that's where he likes to be. And that's Noah Locke does not get to the free throw line that often, too. And that's why. Yeah, that's totally why. Yeah. All right. Let's let's walk through this game last night real quick, because I know we've talked about it, but we got to we got to talk about it for what actually happened in this one. Because if you haven't seen the win probability graph, it's hilarious to look at. Do you see it, Joe? Are you sharing your screen? I can't see it. I'm not. I, t- I tweeted out a picture of it earlier. It's. Uh, is it on Ken Palm? Yeah. The I, Ken I Palm one is just, it is ridiculous what it looks like. Um, the Friars had as low uh, as a 6.1% chance of winning this game. That was in that scoreless streak at the end. Uh, Marquette was scoring. So let's let's pick it up here with about six minutes to go in the second half. Oh, I see it now. Yeah. So let's pick it up. That's about six minutes to go here in the second half. Marquette builds that lead. 
and Marquette, I think, was shooting 81% in the second half at that point, something along those lines. What was going on in your head then? So it's what between seven and five minutes left, Marquette is up nine, correct? Yeah. And this is a point in time when both offenses went stagnant. You know, we would get a really good stop on the other end, and then we couldn't capitalize on the offensive end. So in my mind, I'm like, okay, like here it comes. Like what's going to happen is Marquette's going to hit a dagger three. They're going to go up 12. Like we're going to chip it back to six. And in my, in my mind, knowing the, the way Providence has Providence in the past, I, I thought this was going to be like an eight or nine point loss. You know, I thought Marquette would go up, we'd chip in, the fans would get into it. But then at the end of the day, uh, Tyler Kolak was going to do something spectacular to, to keep the lead. And then slowly but surely, like, we start chipping and chipping and chipping and chipping. And then all of a sudden, it's a tie game. And I was like, I was like, stunned. I was like, wow. I, I could not believe it. Yeah. Here's the thing I actually kind of could believe it for one very specific reason. When Marquette played Purdue on the road earlier this season, they had a lead late and they were up and then they got stuck i i just pulled up the, the graph if i'm counting correctly here they had eight scoreless possessions in a row from oh, about the six minute mark on in that game they ended up losing by five at purdue they just they were hitting and hitting and hitting and then it just flatlined and it looked like the same thing was happening this is a very streaky marquette team very 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 good don't get me wrong they as far as i'm concerned they deserve to still be ranked after that if you could yeah if, oh god yeah if you lose a game on the road in conference play in double overtime, you should not move down in the rankings full stop. That is, yeah. I, I agree. Yeah. But they were, uh, there is a good team. When they're hot, they're hot. When they're not, it gets ugly in a hurry because they, the whole thing is, the whole Shaka Smart system is we're going to hit shots, which means that we can press, which means you're going to have less time to work on offense and yeah. gives us more time to force turnovers, which means we're going to get easy baskets, which means we get to set up the press and it snowballs. But once the cycle breaks, it can turn into the opposite where now you force Marquette to work in the half court. And if they get even a little bit cold, now they have to get back on defense and they can't get settled and they can't force the turnovers that they like to. So once that cycle started, it was just kind of, can the Friars put up enough points in this stretch and score enough before Marquette finds it again and starts hitting shots again and, they just barely did. It's funny you say that, and the, I like the way that you just broke that down because as I was watching the game, when Marquette was going through that cycle, press, turnover, in transition, press, I was like thinking to myself, you know, and this isn't a knock on Ed, but I thought, I was like, Cooley's getting a little outcoached here because we have no answer for the press, we have no answer for the half-court offense, and then they're turning us over and scoring. But then it seemed that on the flip side – Whenever we did break Marquette out of our out of that cycle, we were just out athleticizing them. I don't even know how to say that. We were being more athletic than the, than them in transition, and that's where a lot of our points came from. Credit Bryce Hopkins, credit uh, Devin yeah. Carter, because they were flying down court. Yeah, and I think that's something um, that stood out about this team. I, I didn't even mention I was at the game on Saturday there for the press stuff. You were there for Seton Hall uh, for yeah. as a fans. We both got to see that in person, and you could kind of tell. But they were looking for end-to-end opportunities in that game. Bryce Hopkins, in particular, just looking to yep. take it and run. And this is it's a Friars team that plays more up-tempo than Friar teams I can remember in recent history. They yep. like to do that, and it's 
I don't know if the Friars have had a forward quite like Bryce Hopkins, who has the ball handling ability to go from one end to the other. Like Alpha Diallo didn't do that. Rodney Bullock, God bless his heart, could not do that. <laughs> Rodney but Bullock can dribble do. more than two or three times in a row. Let's be honest here. Yeah, if once that ball hits the court twice, you're starting to have a panic attack. You want it. It's yeah. up or it's moving or whatever. But um, yeah. yeah, Hopkins is good at that. Once they got it going, they were able to make some stuff happen. It was eight possessions in a row. Marquette didn't score. Four of those ended in turnovers. And that's yeah. how you that's how you get those points. Uh, they also got second chance points too. Second chance points were huge in this one. Let's go right down to those kind of final seconds of the first another first half, the second half there. The the first part of this game, the part that was not overtime. <laughs> um so the Friars end up tying it up there. Um and then you've got Joplin that goes down and he sorry the first take the lead joplin goes down hits a contested shot to tie it back up it was a really tough shot bryce hopkins was in his face and he banked it in so credit there that was awesome and then the riders come down and oh my god just this is jared biden's best game of the season yeah clearly clear cut final seconds of the second half and at one stretch in the first overtime it was bad it was because he had this deep three uh, trying to win the game there late. He misses yeah. it. You get the offensive rebound, which was awesome. And then that pass was just, that was a bad pass. That, that, that gave me such agita, especially because like Bynum's pretty good with the little teardrop floaters. And I know what you're going for there. You want to dump it to Hopkins so he can dunk it and possibly get fouled to pad the lead. But in this point, you know, with the clock running out, you just need to get the ball through the net. And what happened instead was not fun. As, as we like to say in the industry, Matt, not, not good. good. Yeah. Uh, thankfully, uh, so that also gave Marquette one last look there at the buzzer, four seconds left. And they actually got, uh, Sean Jones took the shot for them, the freshman. He actually got a somewhat decent look off. Yeah. Uh, it didn't go in. It didn't really it look like he ever sink. had a shot. What was that? Made my heart sink. The, the second that ball like leaves somebody's hands at the last second, it's just, whew. yeah. But uh, yeah, so they survived that, and then let's get into the overtime. So it looked like, looked like the Friars had this one in the first overtime. You go up eighty-eight to eighty. Ed Croswell and Bryce Hopkins were working really well together, kind of going back and forth. Hopkins gets the layup off an Allen Breed pass. Two eighteen to go in the first overtime. You're up eighty-eight to eighty. And then the wheels just fell off in a matter of felt like seconds there. Yeah, that was a six point swing in what like eight a minute swing. and a half. eight point swing in like a minute and a half. And yeah. I gotta say, I, I can't stand Tyler Kolek. I, I, I was pumping his tires uh when they were beating Baylor and when they were beating uh Creighton because I thought he looked good and being on the receiving end of that did not like it one bit. So he has <laughs> He's now taken the place of Andrew Rousey of the Marquette point guard with strange hair that I can't stand. So, Tyler Kolek, welcome to the club. Yeah. I Let me say, I actually still love Tyler Kolek just because. I, I, I knew you were going to say that. He, I mean, he's a Rhode Island native, so that's part of it. But, like, I just love the energy he brings. Even though it's, it's, it's annoying when your team is playing him, but, like, so it makes it fun. Like, he's like obviously he's like, like I don't know the Big East is a brotherhood of sorts in here, and it's fun when it's like oh my brother's making me angry right now and I I want to win more 
Like it's it's that type of thing that's like your your brother knows how to push your buttons in a way that other people don't, and that's what that felt like there with Tyler Kolek and Stevie Mitchell too. Stevie Mitchell was getting into it, slapping the floor a whole bunch. I did not see that coming. If well, Stevie Mitchell, what, what what was his stat line? Him slapping the floor really pissed me off because I was like, hold on a second. Stevie's what number four? Number four. Yeah, he had zero. He had points. zero points. Two rebounds, one steal, and, and four, four fouls. fouls. I was I I saw him slapping the floor at Bynum, and I was like, "How many points does this guy? Like, it's not like it's Tyler Kolak or Cam Jones I, slapping the floor." I was like, "You have zero points." I get yeah, it from like a rah rah perspective, like getting your team up, but like, come on. Yeah, and Kolak Kolak earned the right to talk with the way he played. Uh, he was amazing. Points. Yeah, uh, he's a career. And this is we'll have to talk about the Providence defense in a sec here. But this is back-to-back games they've given up a career performance to an opponent. So that's something to note there. Cool. This is who Kolek is, and I think there's I think there's mutual respect kind of off the court and on the court. It's all right. We're going at it like this. We're going full full at it. And he played really well. When you do that, you have earned the right to talk. Stevie Mitchell being out there, I love the ambition behind it. But you got to back it up. And it's also, it's not even like Marquette is like, they go up nine and he slaps the four. It's like Marquette goes up like a possession, like two yeah. points or one point, And he's like smacking the floor. I'm like, okay, you, you, time and place, pal. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, going, going back to that sequence, you have a Devin Carter turnover. Tyler Collect steals it. He lays it in uh, after he had hit a free throw before. So that pulls it within five. Uh, then he makes a, another layup. Pretty shortly thereafter, I don't. I think there was a turnover on that. I'm just going through the box score, trying to refresh myself. And then a Jared Bynum turnover, Tyler Kolek steal, layup, and it's a one point game. And then the Friars, Bryce Hopkins hits a free throw. Then Kolek hits the turnaround jumper there at the end of the the first overtime to tie it yet again. And it was, but he just took over in that period. That was almost like like Bynum at points in the Xavier game last year. Yeah. Where it's just like, yeah. all right, we're just gonna go to him and he's gonna hit the he's gonna get the points for us. Yeah. You gotta be more careful with the ball around Marquette too. You, you can't Wait, if you're up you, eight in that position, you know they're trying to force turnovers. I, I, I was gonna say late game, I mean easier said than done now that we won, but late game defense and protecting the basketball. We we did not do a good job of that. No, the, the late game execution was good enough to win, but worse right. than we saw last year. Yeah, that, you know, you know, what? all, all I could think of uh, going back to the end of regulation with Jaron Bynum's pass, it looked like a miscommunication with Hopkins yeah. and what was going on there. All I could think of was the games last year and the word luck was just ringing in my head because it's like this is that right there is the reason why they call it luck in the stats, because. I don't know if Bynum or Hopkins really made a bad play there. They just weren't on the same page. And the no. fact that it happened in that situation gave Marquette a chance to win the game. Yeah. Like it's, and that's, that's why they say it's luck. Cause it's, yeah, it just it, it, you it, make it's a just, path, you're on, not on the same page. All of a sudden the other team wins the game and that's it. That's exactly how it works. I, I look at, uh, look at actually speaking of Xavier, you look at the Xavier game at Xavier last year, they missed the shot. And Manaya gets the rebound over whoever else was down there. It was probably Fremantle. Dishes it out to Durham, who then gives it to Bynum. Like, Xavier missing the shot and not getting the rebound is sure unlucky, but it put us in a position to win the game. Yeah. In those, those Xavier games last year, 
Providence swept Xavier. In the two games they played, on three different occasions, Xavier had the ball with a tied game and the shot clock off and did not score. Yeah. It's good defense, and it's also a little bit of luck, but you'll take it. Speaking of that last Xavier game, this is now the last three Big East games played at the Amp. There have been five overtimes. Oh God, I I, yeah. I can't with the overtimes, man. Let me tell you, we thought we thought we were we thought it was a fresh start here in a new team, and they pull out almost the Xavier three overtime game right off the bat. We're just we're going for the classics right away. The the irony is too is like this team is so much more athletically gifted than last year's team, and they're doing this. It's it's just, it's the style of play. That's that's the Cooley trademark right there. Is tight, gritty, physical heart racing heart wrenching mm-hmm. games yeah. that that's they got to they just got to it in a different way this year <laughs> yeah i guess still got to that same point all right let's keep walking through this sequence so tyler cola gets the turnaround jumper um was that what even oh yeah that's when that's when devin carter missed the layup the end of the first overtime not the end of regulation gotcha so yeah so the friars here i mean it's we just I was just talking about Xavier having chances with the shot clock off. The Friars had two chances for with a tie game and the shot clock off and did not score either time. Turned it over on one of them before yeah. this got to the second overtime. The second overtime it was pretty early on here when Tyler Kolek fouled out about two minutes into that last period, um, and it was a I was Marquette had a one point lead when that happened, and that kind of felt like it was that was it. Once Kolek was out, the Friars, they didn't take over, but they, they figured it out enough. I think once he was out, we got comfortable. And that's not in a bad way. Like, we got comfortable meaning, like, okay, if we do what we're supposed to do and play half-decent defense, mm-hmm. we're going to win the game. And I think yeah. you could tell there was a different vibe once he was off the floor. And that says a lot about him and the impact he had. But, you know, that's the way the that's the way the ball rolls sometimes is – you're tasked with, you know, guarding the paint, which mm-hmm. Kolek was surprisingly a lot last night. And if you have a, a steam train plowing down in Bryce Hopkins, you're going to pick up fouls. Yeah. Actually, I, it wasn't the Kolek fouling out. It was after the breed three. That's what it was. Because Kolek, I'm, I'm remembering this whole sequence now. Kolek fouls out, but then Cam Jones, uh, sorry, David Joplin. I get those two mixed up. David Joplin hits the three for Marquette, put him up three with two and a half minutes left. And it, that was kind of like the, okay, can the Friars match that? They come down immediately, drop the set play for Alan Breed. He hits yep. the shot, ties the game. That's when it felt like, okay, this is, we can do that. It felt like that was Marquette's best shot. The Friars answered it. And yep. now they're without their best player and we're tied. And the next seven points for Providence came with the spread. Yeah, The last seven after that. Yeah. So, I mean, that was the shot of the game. I think the, I think the two go hand in hand. You know, Kolek goes out. All right, there's a sense of relief. Uh-oh, Marquette has a fight. We match. Game, set, match. Exactly. Yeah. And they so that was – and then they hit free throws down the stretch. Alan Breed hitting some clutch ones again late. Croswell went, I think, three for four from the line in that stretch. Hopkins had some. It was – they did enough to get the team across the finish line. Uh, no, Hopkins was four for four. Hop, uh, Croswell was one of two. Breed was two of two down the stretch there. And the defense was very good, too, which was yeah. big, the good part of that. Because I mean, you, you see the point totals here. Marquette scored all game long, and they the Friars found enough there at the end. 
this reminded me of um, the Villanova game at the dunk from last season, the pink out game, mm-hmm. when neither team was necessarily playing a ton of defense. And it was kind of just a foot race to see who could outscore the, who could out sprint the other with respect to scoring. Um, and that's exactly what last night was because uh, as, as irritating as it is to listen to him, Lapis made a good point that neither team is going to go home and, and get on the bus regardless of win or lose and say that was a really good defensive performance because no. any, any night you give up 103 points or 98 points, like that's not good defense at this level. You're not no. the, in the freaking NBA. This is college. Like, and this yeah. is big East basketball. It's not ACC or big 10 where you're, you're supposed to put up points like this. Like the big East prides itself on low scoring physical games. And that was physical, but t- certainly not low scoring last night. Yeah. And what was what was the score? Is it 39-38 at the half? 39-39, something like that? Yeah. Was, and that was kind of, oh, okay, it's one of those games. Like the first yeah. half, yeah, the first four minutes, I think it was like 11 to like eleven to 10 at the first media timeout, and it was already. That's, I guess that's what we're doing today. I honestly thought that the game was going to go into the high 70s, low 80s and be like a three point differential. That's where I that's how I thought the game was going to end. If you'd asked me two overtimes and uh, 100 points on the board, I would have said you're nuts. But there here we go. Here we are. And they had the spread on this one was a close one, too. So it lived up to that. Yeah, um, let's uh, we'll go over the box scores and final thoughts on this one in a sec. Before we do, I want to I think we have to talk about the free throw disparity in this game and kind of what happened there. That's the big story out of this one. Anybody who looks at the box score, uh, the first thing you're going to notice is 19 free throw attempts for Marquette, 49 for Providence. That is a staggering number. I haven't done the research yet, so I don't know the last time they had 49 free throw attempts in a game. I can't imagine it was any time recent. So my thoughts on that are, one, that's inflated because there's two overtimes, and you have to keep in mind that there were a lot of free throws attempted by Providence in both of the overtimes. Two, if you look at the nature of the way that Bryce Hopkins plays, and he was the leading scorer for Providence with 29 points, Bright, you get the ball to Bryce Hopkins on the wing, and he's driving with the intent to score in the paint and or get fouled. You look at our second leading scorer in Ed Croswell, who is also tied with Devin Carter, but you look at Ed Croswell, another paint player. So if you look at the type of offensive sets that Providence was running the style of play of each of the two leading scorers to me that makes sense that that's the amount of free throws we attempted not to mention that this is now the second Big East game in a row where opponents have shown that they have no one they don't have the personnel to guard Bryce Hopkins one-on-one and when you start bringing in other people to double and triple team him as that man that big big man is driving to the rack you're going to foul him. There's going to be contact. On the other side of things, Marquette, you know, guys were staying home on the shooters, which was, as the commentators pointed out, forcing Bynum, forcing Locke, forcing whoever it was with the defensive assignment to, to take Kolak to the rack or to guard Kolak as he went to the rim because Providence was staying home on Marquette's shooters. So if you look at the, the difference in the style of offense that was run by both teams – it makes sense. Providence was attacking the rim more than Marquette was. So um, Marquette, Marquette, I think, technically took more field goal attempts at the rim in this one or around the basket than Providence did. But that's also in part because shots at the rim 
are not recorded as a field goal attempt if you get fouled yeah. unless it goes so, in. Yeah. And there weren't a ton of end ones last night. No, it felt it felt like and this is something I think the Friars need to work on. Like they did not finish well through contact. No. So no, they, drew, they drew the fouls, but that's a good point. While that stat might be true that Marquette made more around the rim, if it gets fouled, it doesn't count. Yeah. So, and I think the other thing is quite frankly, like this Providence defense is not good right now. It's no. one of the worst in the Big East, and Marquette got a lot of really open looks around the rim, which is the worst shot. That's the worst look you can give up an open look at the rim, and you're a not getting a foul on that yeah. one. Yeah. The, the one thing with the the whole narrative and the storylines around the the free throw disparity that kind of irritated me. And we talked about this before we started recording is that Kolek and Shaka were speaking to it in the post-game press conference. I know they're not, they weren't being Dan Hurley saying that the refs lost in the game, but like uh, I actually, to give him credit, anonymous Eagle on Twitter said like, you have to out you have to outplay the ref, the way that the refs ref. And if Providence is going to the line, what's, what's that number? 49. But they're missing 14 attempts. The door is still open for Marquette to come back in. And I think that is the important takeaway here is a lot of people in the national media are going to talk about the free throw disparity. And that's fine because there is one. You have to look at the amount of free throws that Providence missed and the type of team that Marquette is. If Providence is leaving the door 14 points unanswered on the floor, that's a window of opportunity for Marquette to come in and score. Yeah. And I mean, guys like Devin Carter and Bryce Hopkins are in the top 100 for free throw rate. They get to the line. Uh, it's one of some of the best rates in all of college basketball. And they were that way coming into this game. That's right. who they are as players. This team actually had a, a higher free throw rate in the opener against Ryder. And they shot less free throws, but that game went to regulation. But it was insane how many free throws they took in that one relative to the number of shots attempted. Yeah. So this isn't this is not that much of an aberration even for this Friars team. It is just who the Friars are. Marquette's a very aggressive defensive team too. They're usually pretty good about not fouling, but they've gotten into trouble before. This is a little extreme for them, and I think the Friars got a friendly whistle. But you're at home in the Big East too. That happens. I suspect like, the, the Friars are going to be on the rough end of one of these down the stretch, where oh, sure. the calls are just not going their way. Marquette's going to have a, a night where uh, they're working in their favor. That's the way it goes. Uh, Rob, Rob Douster, field of 68. He's a UConn guy. On the podcast last night, the reaction pod, he was kind of defending the refs and saying that's the way it goes. Like it's not – it was yeah. probably not a kind whistle for Marquette, and that's going to happen some nights. But echoing everything we're saying right now, that you look at the styles of the teams and the way the game played out. And if you watch the game back, I don't think you would find a lot of opportunities that are going to leave you – really scratching your head saying hmm this seems odd other than general ref inconsistencies that happen i think too you know let's not act surprised here that this is the first poorly officiated or controversial officiating performance for a big east game i mean this has been a gripe of ours for years and years and years it's no secret that just the the way the big east is officiated year in year out is terrible we've been on the receiving end of some good calls we've been on the receiving end of some bad calls if you're jay Wright and you stuff a couple of bills in the referee's pockets before the games you're mostly on the receiving end of some good calls but that's neither here nor there little every, everyone knows yeah. go ahead well the thing is too like one of the reasons those Villanova teams also always got so many calls 
because they pass really well on offense. If you pass well on offense, you get defenders into bad positions, so they're trying to react, and then they accidentally end up fouling you. Some of that was reputation for Villanova, but a lot of it is if you're a good, disciplined team, you're just going to draw a lot of calls because that's tough to defend. And the Friars, for they, they're not the best shooting team in the world, but they passed the ball really, really well this year. It's not just buying them. All these guards can dish it well and have good vision. Croswell, Hopkins, everybody on the floor has good vision. They distribute well. I think you saw that all game long. And when you do that, you put defenders in bad positions, and you're more likely to draw fouls. You know what? I was, that reminds me of a play that I really like that I think emphasizes your point, Matt, is there was a point in time last night where Hopkins drove to the rim and kicked it out to Breed for a wide-open three. And then I, I don't know if it was the next possession, but on one of the following possessions shortly thereafter, Breed is driving. He's looking to do a little 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 teardrop, dumps mm-hmm. it to Hopkins for the dunk. And I'm like, yeah. I'm like, you have your power forward dishing out to dishing it out to your combo guard and then vice versa. I was like, that's really good basketball right there. Is being yeah. able to identify guys that are open like on the yeah. drop of a dime. I guess that's why they call them dimes, but <laughs> and I think they did that really well last night. And it's the team has improved lately, and I think that's a big reason why. They're moving the ball better. They're seeing the floor. They know where their teammates are. And yep. Some of this stuff is like little things. It's your first pass is on time. Your second pass in the structure of the offense is on time. You drive. Your third pass gets to the right guy. The rotation comes from the defense. You pass against it to where the open guy is. The defense rotates over again. So you pass yep. to the next open guy who drives. The defender's out of position, and now it's a foul. And it's, all right, everybody played a part. And the fact that that foul just happened, it's just Bryce Hopkins was the guy taking it to the rim because that's his strength and he was the guy you got open. Yeah. So that's that's a good thing about this offense. Um, well, I'll go through the stat sheet real quick just because there's other performers that need to be highlighted here. Three 20-point performances for Providence. So Hopkins with 29 points. Croswell had 20, 7 to 10 from the field, 6 of 9 from the stripe. Devin Carter also 20 points, 5 of 12 from the field. He knocked down two shots from deep, 8 of 12 from the stripe. Jared Bynum, 16 points. He hit three three-pointers. I think that's got to be uh, his best mark this season. He was three of eight there. He had Jared Bynum at eight rebounds. He was second on the team there, which I think is also in part because of the way Marquette plays. There's more opportunities for guard rebounds. And then Alan Breed in double figures. He had 13 points. He was two of five from deep, two rebounds, three assists. Two steals for him. Uh, Hopkins had three steals. Carter had three steals. The only other Friar to score was Noah Locke with five points. Pierre, Floyd, Moore, and Castro were all held scoreless. That's the yep. stack recap there. I mean, when Cooley finds the guys that he wants to keep in the game, th- there's really no argument. And we've seen this in the past with him before. I always call it the we need to win the game lineup. It's whatever's meshing, whatever's clicking, whatever's gelling, those are the guys that get the minutes. If it's the starting five against Seton Hall and then you're making subs at the end for offense-defense, so be it. In this case, it was the starting four plus Breed, and those are the guys that that got the job done. Yeah, swapping out Breed for Locke there and that. I mean, shout-out to those guys for not getting absolutely gassed in overtime too. when They they looked gassed. Well, they hit their free throws. I mean, this team oh, was know. exhausted at the end of two overtimes, and you're still hitting free throws. That is conditioning at its finest. That's improvement from this team. Like, that's 
that's incredible. That's a, that's an yeah. actual feat to get that done. So props to the the strength and conditioning crew for that one. Um, this is I, I wanted to pull this up because I think you're really gonna like this. Let me hear it. I know we have seen Providence play better as of late, and we can briefly touch on the Seton Hall game after this one. On the Bart Torvik website, basically Ken Palm. It's Ken Palm Light. It has some differences. It's uh, more of an open public thing. So you get a little bit more info out of it and it's free. You can put in certain dates. So you can filter down a season by specific dates to see how, how good a team is. Yeah. The Friars in November. So this is through the TCU game. Mm-hmm. According to this, we're the 143rd best team in the country. One spot behind DePaul. Ouch. That's, and that's with no no preseason anything baked in. That's just performance yeah. on the court. The Friars in December on this five-game winning streak are currently the 29th best team in the country, just wow. outside the rankings there. One of the best teams in the Big East. For reference, it has UConn uh, at number four. In that, it has Xavier at number 19. Again, this is just the December one. And then Providence there at 29. So, yeah, this is this team has turned impressive. Yeah. And Bart Torvik also has game scores. It kind of it's one number that tells you how well a team did relative to the expectations and the opponent. The best five for Providence have been the last five games. Yeah. I mean, the the writing was on the wall with this one, you know, in the postgame press conference. Cooley said that the, the, the team needed to look in the mirror. Devin Carter tweeted out, you're going to see a different team. And from that Rhode Island game onward, it has very much so been a different team. We've seen Jared Bynum, you know, in flashy streaks come back to to form. We've seen Bryce Hopkins absolutely take over. And I think two of the unsung heroes here are Croswell and Alan Breed, who Croswell has just been holding his own in the paint. He is fantastic in tight spaces underneath the rim. I'm eager to see what he can produce against the Sonogos, the Donovan Klingons of the world of the conference. Um, and Alan Breed, you know, we touched on him earlier. He's just really, he's coming into his own and he's settling into a very nice piece off the bench right now. It really is. I think they're going to have to figure out some more depth options. Um, once we get deeper into Big East play, like you need to get something from Clifton Moore. Yeah. I think that's number one or Rafael, excuse me, Rafael Castro. You need to get yeah. something from one of them. I think you need Noah Locke to be a playable guy out there. You need his defense to improve enough and his shooting to be there so you can put him on the floor and make things work. Yeah. And if you get something from Jaden Pierre, too, he's already given you a lot this year. So if you can get yeah. something from him, then you're happy with it. Yeah. I think yeah. I think the, the key to success is keeping a tight rotation. I think if we can get, like, eight guys that we really trust on the floor, I think we'll be in a good spot come March. Yeah. We got five or six. Now you got to yeah. add seven and eight. Uh, we'll we'll wrap up here quickly. Uh, a couple of miscellaneous stats too. While we're doing, it. I mentioned the the number of free throws the Friars had that forty nine. It was the most that they've had since January fifth, nineteen ninety nine, an overtime win against West Virginia. Uh, they had fifty nine in that game, which is incredible. It was the fifth most in program history there. So that's. That is certainly something. Uh, this is a Providence team that, according to Ken Palm, is currently the third best offensive rebounding team in the country. You mentioned Ed Croswell. He is ninth, and then Bryce Hopkins is 299th. Those are the two guys in the top 500 there. 
that's that's where the offensive rebounding is coming from. This team's not great at shooting, but you don't have to be if you can get extra looks, and those looks usually come right under the hoop. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Uh, do we want to well, – let's very briefly here touch on Seton Hall. Give me your 60-second thoughts on that game on Saturday. Um, wow. I thought, you know, there was we showed a lot of fight, you know, going down nine on the road, and you and I were both there. You know, the rock wasn't necessarily full, but it was bumping nonetheless. Um, I thought it showed a lot of heart, a lot of grit. I think, you know, Bryce Hopkins coming on in the second half, 10-second half rebounds, um, you know, putting up 24 points. I think it was 16 points in the second half. That might be incorrect, but 16 points in the second half. Well, each 16 points in the second half. I think, you know, that was the game right there. I think no, um, what's his name? Alexis Yetna for Seton Hall hurt them defensively in the post because we really had our way. Um, Mm -hmm. But with that said, we didn't have an answer for Kadari Richmond either. So there was a, there was a push and pull there. Um, I like when we get Noah Locke going early. I think this is two games in a row now where we've drawn up plays for him early in our offensive sets. I think, you know, we need to continue that and probably push that deeper into the game. But, you know, I just thought the the, the Seton Hall game showed a lot about, you know, where we stand with respect to, you know, our identity. Because the same Providence team that took the floor against TCU, if you go down, down nine at halftime, you're losing by 20. But we chipped and we clawed and we fought our way back in and Seton Hall is going to find themselves uh, on the wrong side of, of some close games this season, but also on the right side of some close games this season. If you saw them last night, like they're not losing graciously, not at all. They are putting up a fight. They just, they need, they need to mature a little bit before they start, you know, racking up wins that are, you know, within three or four points, but they'll get there. Seton Hall is a very good team. Yeah, almost beat Xavier. They have yeah. this back-to-back games now to start Big East play where Seton Hall's had a chance for a three to tie it late, and they've missed it both times. So yeah. they're close. They're knocking on their – that team has been in a rough spot, and the the Siena loss is bad. They've had some bad stuff, but I think that's covering up the fact that they have come on come into their own a little bit here recently yeah. or this last week and put up some tough fights. We'll see what Seton Hall looks like going forward. I think that's going to do it for us, though. On this episode of the Flex, Friars starting 2-0 in Big East play. They get their first win outside of Rhode Island on Saturday. And they get their first ranked win of the season on a Tuesday night at the Amp. Came back from down nine in both games. So a pair of comeback victories there. Schedule ahead here. Friars have some time off. They do not play until next Thursday at Butler traveling out to Indianapolis. That'll be December 29th. Uh, They will stay in the Midwest for a game on New Year's Day at DePaul after that one. So that's the road ahead. Friars get Christmas off. I think we're also going to take Christmas off here and celebrate the holidays in style. So we'll be talking to you after. For uh, for Joe Howie, I'm Matt St. Jean. This has been The Flex. Thanks for listening. Merry Christmas and go Friars.